This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. What a great time of just being with God and uh, enjoying His goodness, taking a step closer. I, I know I did, and uh, that was just a wonderful time of being with Him. My name is Ron, and for those of you who are new, if I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, I would love to meet with you on the way out. So I'll hang out in the lobby afterwards, and um, it's my wonderful privilege over the next uh, 30 to 40 minutes to share with you a teaching, um, as we do here every Sunday. It's one of our core activities, and that is teaching and learning. And as always, it's based on uh, the Bible, which is God's Word for us. And so um, you will see Bible scriptures uh, projected up on the video screens. I want you to know that uh, when you see uh, a scripture reference, that uh, that's not something I made up. That's uh, straight from God's Word. And uh, So we're going to be guided in that, and I want to encourage you along those lines. We've included in your program, uh, if you want to pull out one of the inserts, it's a a sheet of fill-in-the-blank notes that will help you learn and remember and journal what you've learned. I'll give you some things to write down and some some words to circle and concepts, uh, hopefully, that will remain with you this week and that will begin to change your life as they change mine and everyone else's around. Um, if I sound a little different this morning, remember last week I talked about that uh, week that I was really sick and I t- told the breathe on me story. I mean, if you weren't here last week, you'll have to go pull up the podcast and listen to it. But uh, little did I know I was leaving here to go have another one of those weeks where I was going to be sick all week long. And um, But uh, started feeling better on Friday and uh, I got my orneriness back this morning, so I know I'm well, all right? So, yeah. So uh, it's great to be here, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're starting a brand new series of sermons this morning. It's called Good News in Tough Times, and uh, Justin's already talked with you some about that this morning. Uh, as we work our way through this, uh, this particular series, so I just want to invite you along. There are seven sermons in this particular sermon series, so for the next seven weeks, we're going to be going through... Uh, seven different lessons. They're all out of the book of First Peter. And uh, First Peter is a book in the New Testament. And it's almost to the end of the Bible. It was written by Peter, whom I'm, I'm sure that everyone here has heard of. He was one of the 12 apostles personally chosen by Jesus. And he wrote two books in the Bible, and they both bear his name, First and Second Peter. And uh, all seven lessons are going to come from only the first chapter of the first book that he wrote. And I can tell you that in seven weeks, we're going to cover those 25 verses, and we're not going to cover them in great detail. We could spend a long time just on those 25 verses because the Bible has so many really, really wonderful and rich principles. Um, so who was First Peter written to? Well, originally, it was written to a group of Christians who were living in what we call today the country of Turkey. 
So if you know where Turkey is on a map, then you'll know where they were. And I'll read to you. It had a a bunch of different, they didn't call them states, but you and I would call them states. And I'll read you the names of those in just a few minutes. But what's important for you to understand is that these were Christians who were under persecution. And I know that for those of us living here in the United States of America, that can be a hard principle for us to catch on to. But believe it or not, this morning while you and I are meeting here, there are Christians gathered around the world who will be gathering and have been gathering. Most of them have already gathered because of how the world time system works. But they've already gathered and many are gathering under persecution. Their lives are on the line. And... uh, And uh, in fact, we're going to do some things in a couple of weeks uh, to highlight that. So I I won't steal that thunder now. But these were Christians who were under persecution basically from three sources. Okay? The first source of persecution was the Jewish religious leaders. You know, if, if you study the Bible or you know anything about the story of Jesus, you know that it was the Jews who were really angry at Jesus, even though Jesus himself was a Jew, and they considered him a false prophet. And so as Jesus began to accrue followers, the Jews got very threatened by that, and the Jewish religious leaders decided right up front that the way that they would deal with this opposition was persecution. And in fact, what did they do to Jesus? They killed him, right? Yeah. That's the ultimate form of persecution And so it should be no surprise then that they did the same thing to his followers. And even up in the country of Turkey, where they had the opportunity to do so, they came in opposition against the church and even to the point of persecution if they could. The second form or source of persecution that that these Christians were encountering was from the Roman government. Because... Rome ruled the world, and at a minimum, the Caesars were considered descendants of the gods. And what that meant to the Roman emperor emperor and to the Roman Empire was that everyone who was a part of the Roman Empire was, was to consider Caesar as a person or a deity worthy of worship. And they had celebrations, annual celebrations, in which everyone was required to bow, not in homage out of respect to Caesar, but in worship to Caesar. Christians would not do that. Rightfully so. What's, what's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yeah, that's the deal. And because Christians would not bow in worship to Caesar, the Roman government came against them as um, they saw that as a form of treason and disrespect to, to Caesar. And so they began, the Roman government began to systematically kill Christians and persecute them. So these people were under tremendous persecution, but there was a third form of opposition, and this is one that came from a place where you would least expect, and this opposition came from inside the church. You see, the amazing thing about Christianity, you're going to see this a little bit later, because what I'm going to teach you today is really Theology 101. It's the most basic stuff, but it's the most life transformational, and I find in my own life there's always a fresh challenge in it. Because the gospel has the power to change people's lives 
there have always been people who want to jump on that bandwagon and appropriate that power to themselves. And, and you can see it all the time. We've seen it many, many times in our generation. Religious leaders who go cockeyed or crooked. Why? Because they want to jump in the position of power that only Jesus should be in. And so they say, see Christianity as a way to manipulate people. Friends, that started, Jesus himself warned about it, even as he taught his followers. And he described that like this. There are going to be wolves, but they're going to come among you. And what are they going to be wearing? Sheep's clothing. They're going to look like sheep, but they got the heart of a wolf. And they're not going to spare anybody. Well, these people had opposition and persecution from all three sources. These were tough times. Very tough times for them. But you know something? Peter comes along and right up front, he wants them to know that God has good news even in tough times. In fact, that's the first principle I want to teach you this morning. And that is this. The message of the gospel has always been a message of good news. It's always good news. In fact, here's what Jesus said, even as He talked about Himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring... What's the next two words? Good news. Circle those. Underline those. That's the whole point. To the poor, He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Bad news or good news? That's great news. That the blind will see. Bad news or good news? That's great news. That the oppressed will be set free. Bad news or good news? Good news. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. Is that good news? It's all good news. You know, the sad thing is that unfortunately, in in certain places and among certain churches, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is good news, is somehow enshrouded in this culture of hell, fire, and brimstone and condemnation. Now, I can assure you, hell is real, but it's not the heart of the message of Jesus. I can assure you, yes, there are consequences for our sinful behavior, but the message of the gospel is not about the consequences of our sinful behavior. It's about the fact that we can be delivered from the consequences of our sinful behavior. And that is good news. That's what I want to break out for us this morning. It's really what Peter has to say to us. And what Peter wanted people to know is that same Jesus who talked about good news, in fact, almost ten different times throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Bible clearly says that Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom. Peter wanted his people to know that some 30 years later, which is when Peter was writing this, and some a thousand miles away, that the message of the Gospel was still good news. And you know something? I want you to know some 2,000 years later and some 9,000 miles away from the nation of Israel where Jesus lived, it's still good news. It's great news. Yeah. So let's take a look at how Peter begins what he's going to say. And here are the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. From Peter, 
apostle of Jesus Christ to God's chosen people. I want you to underline and circle the word chosen. To God's chosen people who live as refugees scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. There are those, there are those states, all right? You were chosen. There's the word chosen. Circle it and underline it again. According to the purpose of God, the Father, and you were made a holy people by His Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be purified by His blood. Now may His grace and peace be yours in full measure. That's His greeting. And tucked away in that greeting are three basic principles of theology that should literally shout to us from God's Word. Because they are messages that every person in the entire world needs to hear. And you can look on your notes and you will see the title of this message is Chosen. Because wrapped up in that word chosen are three great principles and they come out of three phrases in these two short verses that we're going to focus our attention on for the next few minutes. So let's go to the very first one, and here it is. You were chosen according to the purpose of God the Father. You were chosen according to the purpose of God the Father. In what way were we chosen? Well, I want you to understand that that word would contain huge meaning to these people Because, can I submit to you that persecution is the ultimate form of rejection? Would you agree with that? That's big time rejection. What's the first thing Peter says to them? Not that you are rejected, but you are what? Chosen. Wow. You see, here's the key understanding and the first thing you must know in order to understand the Bible. And that is, the message of the gospel begins with the choice that who made? That God made. And, and I hope to be able to illustrate this for you this morning. Because we live on this side of the choice. It's hard for us to understand what it would have been like if we had lived on that side of the choice that God made. I have a good friend who is a golf course superintendent. And the golf course superintendent is the guy that makes sure that the fairways are all cut and nice and clean and plush and they're overseated when they need to be overseated and they're cross-cut, verticut when they need to be verticut and the greens are all plugged when they need to be plugged and they're all cut and beautiful. So when you go out and you play, it's not like playing in the middle of the weeds. It looks like a what? A golf course, right? It's beautiful. Well, this superintendent sent one of his employees out one day. They were having a problem with a weed that was starting to infest the green and he wanted to nip it in the bud. So he said to one of his employees, I want you to go get, and he listed a particular herbicide that would target that weed but would not kill the grass of the green. And he said, I want you to spray a heavy coat on that entire green because we're going to kill that weed before it has a chance to get in and ruin that green. So the employee left and he went and mixed up the herbicide and he went out and he gave it a heavy coating. And he went over it and over it and over it, soaked it really good. And, and, and it was a bright, hot, sunny day, which really activates the herbicide. And, and the superintendent went out later in the afternoon to check it. And sure enough, the weeds were already beginning to wither. But then he noticed something else. 
the grass was beginning to wither as well. He jumped on his golf cart. He flew to where that employee was. And he said, take me to the bottle that you used. And he took him straight. Well, it was actually a barrel. He took him straight to the barrel and said, I got it from that barrel. And the guy rotated the barrel around and it was Roundup. Yeah. You can imagine what happened to his heart. Now, friends... At that moment in time, the superintendent had a choice to make. And here it is. Do I save the green or do I plow it up and start over? I want you to imagine that you are one of those tiny green grass plants. And your future hangs in the balance of that choice. What do you want him to decide? Save me. Save me. Whatever you do. He made the choice to save the green. He ordered a truckload of charcoal. He brought charcoal in because it would absorb the the poison. He spread it over the green. He watered it down. He took that charcoal off. He put new charcoal on. And for a steady week, he would put charcoal on every few hours. And he would water it completely down. And toward the end of the week, the grass began to grow again. And he saved the green. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute what sin does to us. And when Adam and Eve invited sin into the world, it was a fatal disease that forever banished Adam and Eve and all of their descendants, including you and me, that banished us eternally from heaven. And God had a choice to make. Do I just plow them under and start all over again and say that was a deal gone bad? Or do I save them? And you know what the message of the gospel is? What is it? He decided to what? Is that good news? That's great news. It started with a choice that God made. And while we were wilting and dying and messed up in our sin, God said, they're worth it. I will save them. Which is why the key verse in the Bible is this. For God so loved the world. Yeah. Started with a huge decision that God made. And notice, here it is. Let me read you a passage that goes along with this. In the past, you were spiritually dead. You were like dead green that was dying because of your disobedience and sins. But at that time, you followed the world's evil way. You obeyed the ruler of spiritual powers in space. The spirit who now controls people who disobey God. Actually, all of us were like them. We lived according to our natural desires, doing whatever suited the wishes of our own bodies and minds. And in our natural condition, we, like everyone else, were destined to suffer what? God's anger. Aren't you glad the verse doesn't end there? Let's go to the next page. But God's mercy is so abundant and His love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, He what? He brought us to life. And how did He do it? Not with charcoal and water. He did it with Christ. 
It is by God's grace that you have been saved. So there's principle number one. Let's go to principle number two. You were made a holy people by His Spirit. I want you to circle and underline the word holy. You see, the very first principle, the most important truth of the Bible, truth number one when it comes to the gospel, is that God made a choice to save us. Boy, that's great news. Here's the second principle of Scripture, and that is, God not only made a choice to save us, He made a choice to make us what? That's not so obvious, is it? Holy. Wow. And let's see if we can unpack that a little bit this morning, okay? There are two concepts that are wrapped up in the biblical concept of holy. I know for many of us, when we think of something holy, we think of, well, that's something religious, right? Kind of not of this world, but of some spiritual world. That's not what the Bible word holy means at all. There are two concepts. They're both found in this passage, and we're going to take them in the reverse order that they come in this package, in this particular passage. And the first is the concept of purify. Okay? It's right there. I read it to you earlier. Purify. Well, let me see if I can illustrate this for you. The Bible is very clear that everything you do, everything that I do, every deed, whether good or bad, that a record of that is maintained in heaven. Believe it or not, God knows what time your alarm went off and what time you got up in respect to it. That's a scary thought, isn't it, some days? God knows the first thing you said to your wife or your husband this morning, even before you had your first cup of coffee. It's written in heaven. Yeah. But also, God knows where you are right now, and that's also written in heaven. Now, why does God keep such meticulous records? Is it because he's an angry God and he's just waiting to pounce on some bad thing that we've done and look for a reason that he can justly punish us? No. Later on this morning, we're going to be doing some fingerprinting of all of our youth and children's ministry workers. Why do we do that? How does that work? Well, from a criminal standpoint, everything that you and I have done is recorded somewhere, right? And when we fingerprint somebody, we go check the criminal records. Now, why would we do that? Is it because we're just waiting to pounce on somebody here in this church and to find somebody we can justly punish? No. We do that to protect what group of people? Our children. Is that okay? It's better than okay, isn't it? Now, I want to talk to you for a minute. Is eternity important to you? Shake your head like this. It better be. Eternity is very important to you. Who protects eternity? God does. And how does He protect eternity? Simply by this. If God is indiscriminate about who and what He lets in there then eternity is going to look pretty much like this place, isn't it? So how does God decide who gets in and who doesn't get in? He keeps a record of what we do. Now here's the problem with the record. Everyone sitting in this audience 
has multiple reasons for God to exclude you and me from heaven. Correct? All we'd have to do is take the deeds of your life or mine, project them up here on the screen, and we'd all just tuck our tails and walk out the door and go, I know where I'm going, and it's not there. Right? So you know what God did? God found a wonderful way for His justice and His mercy to come together in Jesus so that we could be forgiven. You know what that means? That we would not be punished for the sins that we have done. I want you to understand this. The message of the gospel, here it is, is a message of substitutionary atonement. In other words, God would, in His grace, God would accept the the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf and on mine. Basic message of Scripture. And you know something? Are we glad He did? Is that good news? Because it means Jesus took the punishment for my sin. All the stuff that could, be, that could be projected up here that I'd be completely embarrassed about and I don't want you to know that I ever said that or ever did that or ever acted like that because it's so not like Jesus. It's so not like God. It's, it's way too much like Ron and way too little like Jesus. All that stuff. I, I can look into the heavens and say, thank you, God, that I'm not going to be punished for that stuff. Why? Because Jesus took the punishment on Himself. And here's what the Bible says. He Himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for whose? The sins of the whole world. Boy, that's everybody. That's everybody here. You say, even my sins? I've been really bad. Do you see any qualifiers in there? It's none. You know the only qualifier that's in there? It's spelled A-L-L. That's a good one, don't you think? Yeah, all. Yeah. So that's principle number two, the first part of it. The word purify. The second part of it is the word obey. You see, the first part has to do with our eternal record. That God has completely cleared our eternal record. And so I can be eternally forgiven for what I've done on this earth. But the second part of this has to do with my earthly behavior. Because God doesn't want people going around this world who wear the name of Jesus, but they act like anything but Jesus. God said, I have to do something not only about their eternal record, I want to do something about their earthly behavior. In other words, I want to clean up this mess. And so God set about to do that. And that's why the, 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 the other word that's in here is this concept of obey. Because the message of the gospel is also not just a message of substitutionary atonement and forgiveness. It's a message of what? transformation. You remember that passage I read to you that Jesus said that I'm going about and I'm going to proclaim the good news. And he said, what's going to happen to the captives? They're going to be what? They're going to be set free. 
Yeah, their whole lifestyle is going to change. Change Once they were bound by certain behaviors and habits that were oppressive and terrible and brought out the worst in them, and when, once they come along and they, follow, and they follow me, I'm going to release them from that sort of behavior, and I'm going to turn those who have been this fountain of cursing and destruction, I'm going to turn them into fountains of blessing and grace. Now, friends, I can't do that for you. I can't even do that for me. I can tell you, I've tried. Only God can do that. And the great thing is, God says, He will. And He does. It's a message of tremendous transformation. You remember our green that was wilting and dying? It was in need of transformation. And God came along and through Jesus and by His Spirit began to infuse that wilting and dying and destructive and ugly grass and began to breathe new life into it and transform it. I want you to hear that message loudly and clearly because many of us have come in this morning and we're still experiencing oppression. Our marriage isn't what it should be. Our relationship with our children isn't what it should be. Our behavior at work isn't what it should be. We may even have some destructive habits that we're bound to that we kind of hate, but we don't know how to shake them. And we've tried to shake them, and, but somehow they keep creeping back into our lives and finding our way in, their way into our lives. I can tell you for sure that you cannot change yourself. You can go down to the bookstore. You can buy all the self-help books in the world that you want to buy. But in the end, you cannot change your life. You have to take responsibility for your life. But the greatest thing that you can do with your life is to do what a little four-year-old kid does with a broken toy. What does he do? He picks up the pieces. And who does he go look for? His dad or his mom. And he says two simple words. What is it? Fix it. Yeah. And as long as you think you can fix it yourself, you're going to live with pieces. But when you bring it to God, say, God, would you transform this? He does. Principle number three. Oh, yes, let me read this. Wonderful transformation passage. When you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results. Boy, this is a, this is a, boy, it's where we live. Impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, that is, encouraging the activity of demons, Hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticisms, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. Don't you love how that reads? (laughs) And there will be wrong doctrine, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, all that sort of thing. That just sounds like the human race, doesn't it? We all can take our own little part of that. Now, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you haven't come to God for His transformation. You've got to come to God for transformation. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. And here it is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How does that sound? Is that good news? That's how I want to live. And when I walk in the Spirit of God, that's how I live.
That's great news. Principle number three. May grace and peace be yours in full measure. I want you to circle and underline the word full. Because that's the point you got to get out of this. Everybody has a little grace and peace in their life. I don't care how tormented you are, you have moments of grace and peace. But Christ didn't die so you could have a few isolated moments of grace and peace. Why did Christ die? So that you could have grace and peace of God in, in what measure? Full measure. Here's the key understanding. The message of the gospel is a message full of grace and peace. God wants you to have the whole package, not just the peace. As we close this morning, I want you to envision with me that on the stage behind me is all of mankind for all of history. Billions of people, if they could, would be standing on this stage. And here at this little mini stage, is a circle, and the circle is simply labeled chosen. How do you get from there to here? You know the great thing about the circle of the chosen? I want you to write this in your notes. Okay? You have to choose to be the chosen. You know what God says? Anybody on the stage, anybody can step into the circle of the chosen. And when you step into the circle, you now become my chosen people. Now, I want you to think of the gospel as a giant circle, but the circle is not complete. How did it start? The message of the gospel begins with a choice that who made? That God made. And the message of the gospel ends with a choice. Only you can make. Here's the circle. There's the people. And you know what God says? Come step in my circle. What's in the circle? Full grace and peace. I skipped over a verse for the sake of time, but it's in your notes. It's there in Philippians chapter 4. And it talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's yours in full measure. People in the circle get that. Transformation, people in the circle get that. Eternal forgiveness, people in the circle forget that. They get that. Anyone who wants to step into the circle can step into the circle and be the chosen. I want to encourage you to make that choice. The worship band is going to come. They're going to sing a song and then they're going to lead us in a song. And while they get on this stage, um, if you watch me and not them, I have something very important to say to you, all right? What do these people in the circle have in common? Well, they all have a common story. And the story always begins with the same phrase, and it always ends with the same phrase. The story begins with the phrase, I once was. I once was addicted to alcohol. I once was a man who abused his children. I once was a person filled with envy. I once was a liar. I once was a murderer. 
I once was a gossip. I mean, the list is endless, correct? Everybody's story in the circle always begins with, I once was. But they all end with this phrase, but now I am. I once was addicted to alcohol, but now I am clean and sober by God's grace. I once was a man who abused his wife and children, but now I am a man who loves his wife and children and treats them with kindness by God's grace. I once was. Friends, you can fill in the blank in your life. You know it all too well. God invites you not just to be I once was, but to be but now I am. As the worship band sings, I want you to do your business with God. Because in some way, every one of us has business to do with God this morning. Let's receive His grace. This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message.